Have you tried all the diets out there because you are concerned about your health yet keep failing? Are you curious about these buzzwords we keep hearing? Intuitive eating, mindful eating, body positivity. What does it all mean? It's just so confusing. If you can relate to that, well, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast, formerly the Love Food Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Duffy Dillon, seasoned dietitian who helps people move from a complicated relationship with food to developing their own food voice. We will help you defy diet culture, declare body liberation, and reclaim your peace. Find Your Food Voice Foundation has been built by listener letters, writing a letter to food, describing the love-hate relationship, and all the messy bits that feel like a dead end. Me and sometimes a guest sort through it all. We include book review segments from resident bibliophile and our podcast production assistant, Yelly Cruz. You can also catch Diet Culture IRL episodes with Colleen Rebner, operations manager over here, and hype woman extraordinaire. We ditch cookie cutter approaches, expose the lies that society feeds us, and rewrite the rules around food, eating, and our bodies. We call this finding your food voice, and it's vital we do it together. With almost 300 episodes over the last six plus years, we have heard it all, except from you. Submit your dear food letter at julieduffydillon.com. We need you to join us. Seriously, stop fixing yourself. And instead, let's focus on fixing our world's messed up, toxic view of the human existence. Subscribe now to join the fight. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. This season of Going There is brought to you by AbV, who is driving the pursuit of better mental health. Over the last 30 years, AbV scientists and clinicians have worked to tackle the complexity of mental illness and today offer a portfolio of medicines and a pipeline of innovation that spans depression, anxiety, bipolar 1 disorder, and schizophrenia. To learn more about AbV's work to support individuals throughout their mental health journey, please visit www.abv.com or follow at AbV on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Today we are talking with singer-songwriter Lauren Gray. You may know Lauren because she is a top social media influencer, including being one of the most followed TikTok individuals in the world. And while she rose to prominence in part by lip-syncing radio hits, she eventually started working on her own music. And so Lauren hit the music scene in 2018 with singles such as Queen and then Anti-Everything in 2019. And she just released her full-length album, Guilty, featuring title track song and other singles such as Never Be Perfect and Told You So. Lauren has been touring the United States with Hunter Hayes and will be performing shows in England in June. Check out Lauren's music, tour dates, and merchandise at IamLaurenGray.com. Now, on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And one of the most important issues that we face on our mental health journey is how to understand, accept, and blend all of the different parts of our emotional experience into our self-concept. 
we recognize that we may have good experiences that result in positive emotions, such as happiness, fulfillment, and connection. And we may have more difficult experiences that may result in our having feelings of sadness, anxiety, or anger. And in an ideal world, we are open to and accepting of all of those different parts of ourselves so we can nurture those more positive experiences and care for ourselves during tougher times. However, when we struggle with mental illness, such as depression, panic disorder, or addiction, the intensity of our emotions may feel too pervasive and overwhelming. So we feel out of balance, struggling to understand ourselves and how these intensely painful experiences can be part of who we are. And it may initially feel better to ignore, suppress, or avoid our negative emotions. But over time, if we don't accept that we have had difficult experiences and intense negative emotions, we may avoid a whole part of ourselves. And eventually, we don't develop the coping strategies we need and don't seek out the treatment that could help improve our mental health. And so we often have to pretend that we are okay when we are not. And it leaves us not feeling fully connected to ourselves or others who don't really understand what we're going through. And Lauren talks about how she has tried to understand and make sense of the various experiences in her life, including her struggle with depression. Now, as a trigger warning, Lauren and I discuss intense bullying and sexual assault that she experienced in her life. If you experienced a sexual assault and would like to reach out for support, you can call the Hotline for Sexual Assault Support at 1-800-656-4673. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. And Lauren talks about how at times she felt like she was exuding a false sense of happiness, convincing herself that she's happy when she's not. And Lauren also discusses the stress that she faced not only from experiencing sexual abuse, but also from the demands placed on her by others in terms of how she was supposed to cope. And she has had to contend with these struggles in the public eye, trying to figure out how to understand and present herself both privately and on social media. And she discusses how she used her music and songwriting to understand and express all of the different sides of herself so she can feel authentic and stay true to who she is on her mental health journey. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what Lauren has to say. Hey, Lauren, welcome to Going There. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So let's get right into it. You and I talked a little bit before the podcast about just struggling with depression. And so if you feel comfortable just talking with people a little bit about what your experience with depression has been. I feel like my mental health is always in and out. I go through really, really incredible highs and then really, really debilitating lows. And I've, I've never really felt a sense of stability ever <laughs> throughout, uh, I, I would say from, from my, what I can remember. So if we could talk a little bit about the symptoms that you're describing, because depression manifests differently for different people. So when you say you have the lows and the highs, do you feel like that's part of the mood destabilization? Or are you talking about that just in terms of the things that you experienced in your life? A little bit of both. In that aspect, I was talking about my my mood, but I, there's highs and lows in life too, and that's how it is for everyone. But I feel like this the smallest thing can 
send me into a spiral that lasts weeks, months. Uh, I, I fall victim to the can't get out of bed. Um, I, I have a tendency to withdraw from people that love and care about me and hide. And I'm really hard on myself. I'm very self-critical and I've always been that way, but especially after starting social media and sort of being placed into the public eye, you're sort of introduced to a lot of a lot a lot more judgment, a lot more scrutiny, a lot of things that I didn't know about myself <laughs> that people told me about myself and having that constant pressure has been something that you, you never really fully get used to. And that what you described there were, were I guess what we could talk about is more of the lows. What what do the highs feel like? I feel like happiness has been something that I've had to redefine for myself because Happiness for a lot of people is few and far between, where you really, really feel those moments of joy and everything is perfect. And in those moments for me, where I feel like everything is going great, I also feel like sometimes I, I sort of force myself into a state of sort of false happiness, where I'm trying to convince myself that I'm happy when I'm really not. But they're usually a lot more short-lived <laughs> than the moments where I'm being really down on myself and, and hard on myself. But those moments, sometimes I sort of fake it till I make it. I, I sort of force myself into these like very social, outgoing environments and convince myself that I'm happy and everything's great. And I overwork myself because I feel like I can handle it. And then the smallest thing can cause that branch to snap that I'm standing on and balancing on all of the time. And then it's right back to square one. So that's definitely the constant cycle that I, I struggle with and I've sort of had to start, I'm starting to try to find ways where I can be okay, not necessarily overjoyed and ecstatic and, and loving every aspect about my life, but also not, you know, hating myself and everything that I do. You know, it's interesting how you describe your relationship to sadness as compared to happiness. I think when we struggle with depression or anxiety on a regular basis, it's almost like we have a very connected, intimate understanding as though it's a person. It's like a person we're really comfortable with, even if we don't like them. It's like we really feel like we're familiar with them. And it's kind of easier to lean into that negative mood because it's just so common and we really get it. But a lot of people who struggle with depression, they'll talk about, I don't really get happiness. I don't understand it. I don't have a feel for it. So there's an awkwardness almost that happens when we feel it. How do we understand it? How do we express it? What are people going to think about it? Yeah, it's difficult to understand because every time that I've ever felt happy, it feels like I'm convincing myself that I'm happy. It's weird because I have to think the thought that I'm happy. I don't just experience it freely and I sort of have to force myself there and then convince myself that things are good and that I'm happy and that there's nothing to be upset about. And sometimes it feels like um, it gets exhausting because especially recently, I feel like so many incredible things are happening in my life. And there's that other little voice in me that's like, none of this is real. You're a, you're a pessimist. You don't actually feel these feelings. You're just convincing yourself that you do. And part of me also feels like I don't really deserve it. So that I don't deserve the things in my life that are making me happy. 
So it it makes it so that I can't actually enjoy what I have. Yeah, it's there's like a trust issue there almost. You know, it's like we when we trust another person, a lot of things flow smoothly. And when we don't trust someone, there's a lot of things that are coming into question. And I think one of the biggest misunderstandings people have when someone is depressed or struggles with depression is to say, oh, you know, happiness will feel so light. It'll feel so nice. It'll feel so comfortable. It's often the opposite where it's like, this just does not feel familiar or comfortable at all. And I think that there's a big disconnect that happens with the people in our lives because of that. It's just like, you know, happiness for you and happiness for me are very different things. I think you're talking about that. It's almost like a burden of happiness in a way. Yeah. And I also feel like I was sort of forced into this very adult position from a very young age. I always start by saying kids are mean. And I was not, I guess, <laughs> objectively, I was not a pretty, pretty little girl. And I was very easy to pick on. I was tall and awkward and super pale, white hair, skinny. And I, I got made fun of a lot. And it was things that seem small, but really make an impact on a child in elementary school, you know, the name calling and then being invited to a birthday party, but it was just a prank and things like that, where I never really got to fit in with the, the cool girls and I didn't really have many friends then. So my mom pulled me out of school. She's like, you know, if you don't want to deal with this, you don't have to. So I left school for a year and I started watching makeup videos and I loved makeup because I felt pretty and I felt like the other girls. And so I went back to school after a year of homeschooling. And in the time that I went back to school, I was sexually assaulted in a basement and I just turned 13. And after that, everything happened at once. It was really, it's really a blur to me. I feel like my, I get asked a lot of specific questions. I don't really remember specifics and the whole timeline is very blurry. So I know that that happened. And then I was still in school and then my social media happened over the summer. So that happened in seventh grade. My social media stuff happened over the summer going into eighth grade. I went back to school and nobody knew that that, that, that had happened at school. But my social media stuff happened and it became such an incredible outlet for me because no one knows me. They don't know what I used to look like. They don't know how I didn't have any friends. They don't know about this, like this part of me that was taken. They don't know any of that. They just see me and whatever I decide to show them. And that was a huge outlet for me. But at the same time, it wasn't acceptable at school. So that was a new thing for me to be bullied for. So I left school again and I completely immersed myself in the internet. It was, it felt like no matter what anyone said to me online, nothing could be as bad as what I knew about myself. And so that I feel like my life sort of restarted there and Everything, whoever I was, whatever happened before that time period, before I became Lauren Gray, when I was Lauren Beach in you know middle school, all of that was gone. And now I could be this character. And I've never really done any therapy or anything to, I'm not ready to unpack 
that part of me. I've done a really good job at forgetting a lot of things that I think would be really difficult for me to face now, especially with the new problems I have with depression, severe anxiety, and it's just easier for me right now. And I know that seems like a cop-out and that's not what people want to hear, but for my personal journey, I'm not ready. And I know at some point in my life, it'll probably come up and things may fall apart for a little bit, but I'm doing the best I can as any person should. Yeah, just on that, that is not, in my opinion, a cop-out. One of the most dangerous things that can happen for people is when they feel as though their mental health journey has to be linear and in a certain stepped fashion, because as you described, the, the horrible things that can happen to us do not happen necessarily in a linear and a neat and tidy way. Is it wonderful if people feel like, hey, I can seek out and, and get the treatment that I need? Yes. But that being a wonderful thing when someone is ready is very different than the pressure that they should. And if they don't, there's something wrong because now we're heaping more things upon the person. And I just from the brief stuff that you told me, I, I, as an adult, it would be just so overwhelming, these things that you're describing. But as a kid, it, it just gives me the sense or the feeling of like, you know, how do you keep a sense of yourself through that? You know, because it yeah. feels as though you're going about your life and just trying to be you and these these bad things keep happening. And to be able to kind of have any sense of doing anything that's constructive in that feels to me to be very powerful. I feel like, and I say I feel like, because I might not be, but I feel very self-aware and I'm self-aware enough to know what I'm ready for and what I'm not ready for. And after I started social media, it was almost like I re- like I created a character and then I became it. Like I created this confident, fun, beautiful, done up person, the person that I wanted to be. And then over time, I just became that person. And I worked so hard to build that character that protects me. And that sounds like a really weird way of saying it because obviously I'm still myself and I still carry aspects of my past with me that hurt and that make things difficult and that give me anxiety and bouts of depression. But who I am now and who I became protected me a lot. I never wanted to go public with my sexual assault story. That wasn't something that I was ready for, but it was a whole case of blackmailing that sort of forced me into saying the story before the story could be misconstrued and put out. It was being put out as like a, I know what you did and it wasn't what I did. And I don't even still to this day know who knew or how they knew or what. I was sort of forced out of my box, <laughs> my protective box to, to tell people that this happened to me. And of course that's met with a million thousand questions. Well, is the person in jail? Did you go to therapy? Are you in therapy? Do you, what, what happened? Do you remember? Who was it? These are all things that I, that's not the point. I didn't want to talk about it in the first place, but now that I do, those aren't the things that we should focus on. It's not, I don't want people to know the dirt on what, you know, the, the juicy gossip. It was, I was a 13 year old child. And I, I think that it's really easy when someone's a 
a public figure or an influencer or whatever you categorize someone as to sort of not view them as a person um, with feelings and you just kind of want to know the gossip. That's not what this is. I'm sure there are aspects of my life that can be speculated on, but to have that part of my life speculated on is something that I, A, was not prepared for, B, shouldn't have been forced to um, confront, and C, shouldn't be forced to confront now if I'm not ready, and I'm not, and that's all there is to it. And I advocate for other people who are ready for that part of their journey and are are ready to unpack those things and, and hopefully heal themselves in the process. Therapy and and seeking out help for your mental health is is so so much more accepted now. And I it's a beautiful thing. And I advocate for that as well. But that doesn't mean everyone's ready for it. And I think that's something that is difficult for people to understand at times. Yeah. And I I I just agree with everything that you're saying it is, you know, the things that you're talking about having gone through are, are so difficult and so terrible. And I'm, I'm very sorry that you've been through that, but to add on to that, these expectations and these judgments and these demands, I think that's one of the main things that as a community, as a broader community, I think we have to move away from, and we have to move towards exactly what you're saying, which is that nobody really understands the best way of handling these things. And you have to give someone agency to say, this is my process. This is how I'm dealing with it. And to be there to support that person, you know, rather than put more demands and more expectations and more judgments, which to me, I think often just compounds the already traumatic situation. Right. And I think a lot of times what people forget, they watch videos of me and they see my life. My life is incredible. I, I'm in a dream position, right? I get to do what I want to do and I get to make music and I have money to do things that I want to do. And it's a beautiful life that I've been given. I have fans who support me, who love me. It's really, really incredible. But at the same time, I think that on the flip side of that, there's a part that people forget. That's the human part. <laughs> it's the real part. It's the part that, okay, I have money. I don't have endless money. <laughs> I have fans, but I also have people that really, really hate me. I have all of these incredible things, but there's also this immense pressure behind it. My family's not wealthy. I'm sort of the first in my family to do anything like this. So there's that pressure of there's not much to fall back on. And then there's everything else that I am grappling with on a human level. And it's very easy to forget that when you are watching someone online. I wish that people thought twice and took a little bit more time to think about if, if that person was sitting in front of you as a human being and you were having a conversation, would you say this, the things you're saying or would you think the things you're thinking if you knew that person, if this was your sister, if this was your child, if this was your friend, would you treat this person the way that you're treating them or pressure this person or, or question this person the way you are? And uh, I think that sort of coincides with the whole pressuring of if you talk about your struggles you should just go to therapy because you have the money for it it's not that easy and um sometimes it's even more difficult i i went to therapy after my assault 
and before social media because I became very withdrawn. And I sort of explained the whole situation. And then I found out that my therapist that I was going to was someone at my school's mom. And that was really uncomfortable for me because after I found that out, I was really scared <laughs> and sort of lived in fear. I saw the mom in the office picking up the kid and she's my therapist that I just told all my deepest, darkest secrets to a couple days ago as a kid. You know, that's terrifying. I think that people struggle often with this idea of creating a persona or creating a character or creating a personality. And in some ways, what you're saying is that on the one hand, it feels like, well, I, I quote unquote manufactured this. It's almost that's what you're describing. But as as you also said, it's it is you. You're the one that did it. You're the one that is living it. I guess in retrospect, I'm kind of curious what parts of that process felt like they were helpful for you. And were there any parts that if there was someone out there who was like, hey, I, I want to create a, a certain persona that I present maybe in school or when I do athletics or on social media, you know, that you would say, okay, do this, but don't do this. You know, this was helpful, but this, this maybe brought me in the wrong direction. The best advice I could give is to stay true to who you are. As much as I've spoken about creating this persona, I think it was more so this separate presence online that was separate from my personal life. I felt more confident. I felt more free, right? It was sort of a way to turn off this part of me and turn on this other part of me where nobody really knew anything about me. And that was fun because I didn't have to explain myself. I didn't have to worry if people were going to like me or not. I just kind of put myself out there. And it was scary, of course. But as much as I feel like I was building this persona, I was really just sort of moving on in a way that worked for me. And building my own confidence. And it was sort of a fake it till you make it. It was like a, okay, I'm, I'm playing this part of this like fun, bubbly person. But then after a while, I started to feel like this fun, bubbly person and I started making friends. It's important to stay true to who you are. It's, it's not about creating something, an identity that lives completely outside of you. I think for me, it was just sort of building up this side of me that I wanted to become and building myself up in a different way and sort of becoming this more outgoing sort of version of myself that I aspired to be. So it's sort of like this back and forth that I, I think everyone sort of has to a degree, but it's sort of amplified because of this sort of projected idea of me that I feel like I have to meet all of the time. It's interesting that you say it that way, because one of the things that I would hope for people. And I think sometimes with people who I work with in therapy or coaching or whatever, is that if you have a side of you, that's a part of you. And the idea that it's like, oh, I'm this person here, I'm that person here, say, well, it's all you. And what I would hope for people is that they don't necessarily reject it just because it seems at the time like it's such a stark contrast mm -hmm. and that they more say like, well, I have these different sides of me right now. I'm not always 100% sure how to flow between them or how to integrate them. But that doesn't mean that it's bad. And I think that that's the first step for a lot of people to be able to say, hey, I, I just noticed on social media or on an athletic field or in therapy or on stage, I just have this other side of me comes out. And that's good. I think the part that becomes bad is when we start judging 
because it's we haven't figured out how to make it neat and tidy. But also, like you were saying, where just because we can do that doesn't mean we're now obligated to do that all the time. Like we're still in the driver's seat. Like we're still in control of who we are. Just because there's something that is a side of us that that happens to be really picking up with other people. One of the things that we ask people is that, you know, you're now writing music that's going to inform and help people experience and process their feelings. Were there any particular artists or albums or songs that were really critical for you in terms of your mental health journey? My first one that I always go back to is Taylor Swift. I love Taylor Swift and I love her writing style especially on the relationship front of things. I feel like she has a song for every relationship issue that I'm I'm going through or any sort of way I'm feeling. She has a song called Innocent that has, I've always really loved and felt very connected to. And then in 2019, I was really going through it. My mom just left me. I was on my own for the first time in LA. She moved back to Pennsylvania and I got really, really attached to Lil Peep. <laughs> I was really, really depressed. And I mean, it showed. I, I was not taking care of myself, but I felt hurt. I felt like, wow, there's someone else who feels these really intense feelings and struggles with the same things I do. And there was a time where I was just not doing things that were good for my body. So I felt hurt. And then one that's surprising for people, but I have to explain why that I go back to and I have gone back to my entire life, my whole existence is Eminem. And people always think that's that's a weird one for me because I don't look like the type of person that would say I love Eminem. And I feel like people have a an idea of who he is and one sort of opinion, but I grew up on his music and it is so incredibly honest. It is his life, unfiltered, uncensored. That's something that I really, really admired and connected to. And there's the rage and the sadness and it's all there. And it's all, there's no pretty little bow on it. It just is what it is. And the fact that someone could be so undeniably true to themselves and push the boundaries so far. It's crazy. And it was inspiring to me because I'm like, if, if you can be this honest to yourself and your audience and connect with people in the way that you do, I'm not a rapper. I'll never be a rapper. But there was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. But he did. And that's how he's processing whatever he's going through. And, and he's just putting it out into the world. And I I've always been really, really inspired by him and that. I saw him at the Super Bowl. I saw him at Coachella both times, just sobbed, cried. I've always just really connected to that level level of depth. And that's something that I wanted to hopefully one day be able to do. That might be a good transition actually into the music that you're presenting. Because I think that in a lot of ways, the music for a lot of people, a lot of artists, that's one of the places where they start to show maybe sides of themselves that that they hadn't before. And I'm just kind of curious for you in the process of your music or if there's any particular song where you're kind of like, hey, here's here's a song that feels a little bit more raw, a little bit more authentically me, even though we just got done saying that it's all authentically you. So I'll have to 
take yeah. back that statement. Yeah, it's all authentically me, but I I made some steps in processing things that I hadn't previously processed. So I signed to a major label when I was 16 to make music. And I'd already, I'd always written poetry and I'd always expressed myself through words, but music is something that I was really, really passionate about. And I wasn't the best singer and I'm still not. I've worked really, really hard. I started taking vocal lessons and working my ass off to get to somewhere where I felt like I could confidently do this. And then it was, no, you're gonna dance and you're gonna be blonde and you're gonna be skinny and you're gonna be sexy. You're gonna be maybe Britney Spears. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> so I left the label and I started writing my own album. So the first writing camp I did for my album I was finally working with people that I felt comfortable with, that I was friends with, that listened to me, because that was another thing. No one ever listened to me. Our first writing camp was fun. We were all getting to know each other. We wrote those like up-tempo, sort of fun, empowering songs. And then we did a second writing camp where I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. I just want to tell you guys everything about me. It's going to be different and new for me and hard for me, but I'm going to tell you everything about myself and everything that I'm going through and everything that I hate about myself. And then we're going to write a really some really good songs about it and hopefully connect to someone. Cause that's the music that I listen to. I listen to people who write about what they feel. And I just wanted the opportunity to do that. We did the second writing camp and we wrote a song called Guilty, which is the title track of the album because it was such a turning point for me. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. You know, and the song is say, I hope it doesn't kill me cause I don't want to die. And that was the first real moment where I was like, wow, I've never said that out loud, let alone in a song, let alone in a song that's going on an album that everyone's going to hear. That was a really big moment for me because after that, the songs that were made, <laughs> I mean, there's songs that aren't even on the album that were a lot. And a lot of the songs are kind of self-deprecating and I was just kind of processing how I feel about myself and how I feel like a burden and how I feel like no one gets it. And there was a really stark contrast between the two writing camps. And when I was putting the album together, I was like, I just want all of it to coexist because all of it coexists in me. There are the empowering, fun parts of me that don't take anything too seriously and can have a good time. And then there's the parts of me that don't and aren't happy. So it was really interesting to, and really an incredible experience to get to put those two parts of me together in something that I could articulate and something tangible that people can listen to and connect to. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us on the show. It is, it's, it's very hard to overstate how big of a deal it is when someone at your level comes through and talks about these issues, because not only is it just knowing that anybody is struggling, makes it easier for the people who are out there struggling to feel less alone, but obviously when there's someone who's at your level of success to say, but this person, this is still a part of their life. I think just people feel so much more seen, so much more heard, so much more normalized. And it, it's, it goes so far to reducing the stigma, you know, the stigma of mental illness and people's mental health journeys. And so thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So there it is. 
Lauren Gray talking about her struggle with abuse, depression, and bullying, and how she tries to stay true to who she is and what she wants in the world. Now, there's so much to take away from the conversation with Lauren, but I wanted to focus on something that she said right at the end of our conversation, how she wanted the different parts of herself to coexist. And she was referring to both the upbeat, happy part of herself that loves a good time, as she described, and the part of herself that has struggled with abuse, bullying, and depression that does not feel good and requires acceptance, attention, and care. And many of us struggle with this. We feel that if we generally feel happy and have had good things happen in our lives, we're not allowed to struggle, particularly with our mental health. And people will often say, why are you so depressed? You have a good life or relax. Things are going great. It's as if we're never allowed to feel badly if we have felt good before. And similarly, many of us are afraid that if we share the part of ourselves that has struggled, that feels depression or anxiety so intensely, that we will never be allowed to be happy. Everyone will always look at our struggles as the sign that we're really not doing okay, that we are somehow fake, and we ourselves struggle with these very same judgments. And Lauren talked about one way of trying to explore and express all of the different experiences that she has had, which is in her music. And I would really encourage everyone to use music or art as one possible opportunity to allow themselves to feel all of their feelings. Even if we are not musical creators ourselves, Seeking out the different types of music that we may like or need at a given time is a great first step in understanding and accepting all of the different parts of our emotional experience on our mental health journey. And it can be a step towards ultimately feeling more authentic, more connected to ourselves and others, and more capable of nurturing the times we feel good and healing when we feel badly. I want to thank Lauren for this wonderful conversation. This season of Going There is brought to you by AbV, who is driving the pursuit of better mental health. Over the last 30 years, AbV scientists and clinicians have worked to tackle the complexity of mental illness and today offer a portfolio of medicines and a pipeline of innovation that spans depression, anxiety, bipolar 1 disorder, and schizophrenia. To learn more about AbV's work to support individuals throughout their mental health journey, please visit www.abv.com or follow at AbV on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And I, of course, want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and SoundMind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. And if you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please dial the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at The Crossroads. Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer Blondie. This is Roland Ozebal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. 
Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts.